I mean, there is a like you could argue if it's correlation or not, but you could see in the market that are the most advanced. You see the actual trend of Arbo going down, like before 2020, like being reversed. And then some of this is because you do like bigger service bundle because you move up at the tier and you say you get more throughput, more capacity, so more mobile broadband for like more. Uh, in terms of actual offers and monetizing on service differentiation, I don't think we're there yet. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that's been kind of like at scale. I don't think we've seen like big differences in this. And, and I think, yeah. and I think that's an important admission. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast from this camera that feels much closer to my face than it normally is. Um, this is our first one back in the studio since we're at Mobile Congress, which already feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Yeah, it does feel like a long time I think ago. Yeah. I think we, we both spent that weekend just sort of whimpering and healing, didn't we? Mm, we had, yeah. um, what did we have? We had, we had on a Monday, we had about 3 a.m. finish. Tuesday was about 2 a.m. And then... And then um, Wednesday was about 5 a.m., wasn't it? And then, we yes. had, and then we had to get on a plane at midday. Yeah, that was a long day because I'd been up since 5 a.m. and then realised I hadn't slept for 24 hours. Right. And then we had two hours sleep, I think. Yeah. And then went to the airport. Oh, you've so, been up since 5 a.m. that morning, had you? Yeah. The previous morning. Yeah, I so... Got, I, got, I wrote a story, did seven interviews, two podcasts, Go on. corporate dinner, and then went out drinking. So... You, you, are, a, day. you are a legend. That's what I felt like. I felt legendary at the end of that day, actually. Yeah. So before we before we go any further, and, and I'll invite we we've got a special guest, and I'll invite him uh, um, to talk about World Congress if indeed you were there. So people, this is this is the joke. I said I was going to say it, and Pierre, when you said this joke at the end of the last pod, but I can't think of a better one. People are going to think we're in love. That's taken from that's taken from um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, uh, Hannibal Lecter says yes. to Clarice Starling, "People yeah. are going to think we're in love in a creepy way." <laughs> um, but we've got Ericsson on again. <laughs> This time we've got Christian Leon, who um, who heads up the networks and managed service side of things in Europe and Latin America. That's a sort of... Ericsson, I think, almost uniquely seems to have Europe and Latin America as sort of bundles. You must spend a lot of time on planes. Yeah, that's why we enjoy Mobile World Congress, because everybody comes at the same right. time. So it saved me, like, you know, hours of flight. So it's flying over me. Latin America yeah, the whole time. It's healthy for me. Yeah, so so it's great to have you on. I mean, it's, it's coincidence. We weren't we didn't, hadn't necessarily planned to do the podcast from the Ericsson booth um, at Mobile World Congress, but um, Pia and her team just made it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then got your colleague Peter on, so uh, so it's double Ericsson, which is great because back to back. because prior to that we'd never had any, anyone from Ericsson on at all, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So you, Ericsson's like buses on it. Yeah. <laughs> you wait for an Ericsson and then two turn up at yes, once. Kind of like get one, two. Yeah, there we go. Um, but it's great to have you on, Christian. Um, and uh, were you at my World Congress? Yeah, I was yeah. there. Yeah. And uh, how was it? Do you have a few late nights, or were you quite sensible? No, I tried to behave a little bit. I had a keynote on Millimeter Wave on Wednesday, so I had to kind of... Oh dear, yeah, you don't want to be hung over for that. Sharp. Sharp. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> millimeter Wave, can you imagine Millimeter Wave? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it might work. <laughs> I don't care. Go away. Um, okay, well, I might ask you about that. I mean, that could be one of the things we, we come up with, seeing as that's obviously something that must be a relative strength of yours if you were doing a keynote yeah, on it. Um, in fact, that will come in in the in the broader sort of category of things we're going to talk about. But um, yeah, we'll just get our initial bit of talking shit out of the way before we get to the point. Um, but yeah, I I thought um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that that podcast there. Lots of other yeah, people seem to enjoy it. Yeah, um, and I enjoyed the show. I thought we did all right considering we had a lot of late nights. Pierre was sort of saying in a slightly sort of 
veiled compliment that I sort of looked alright because uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, Pierre, where you're going to do your throat cutting thing, but we shot a lot of videos together. <laughs> um, and and obviously I didn't. Well, he's seen me in previous years turn up for some of those videos, not not good. in a great state. Well, we we had dinner one night and then you went out after that. Yeah, that's right. That was the Monday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was till three a.m. That one. Oof. That was uh, Virgin Media 2 we have to thank for that one. That was some nice drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, so you and Andrew had been out with Orange. I'd been out with Pierre. Um, and then he went off and was grown up, and I went off and met you at this bar. And then they took us to some cocktail bar after that. That's right. Which I just about remember. And we had tea with her as well. And we had old fashions. Yeah, they were for a bit, and then we lost touch with them. I thought it was curious that BT's press team was hanging out with the Yeah, FOT's I thought it was cool, team. actually. Yeah, I, mean, I sort of like, applaud them for it. But, yeah, um, you don't normally see them together. They're like, you know. No, no, no. And then we had double BT because we had dinner with them. The next day. Anyway, yeah. we've been over all that. Um, so, yeah, I won't I won't bother with any more um, prattling on, especially as we're, we're starting on the late side. And I keep vowing to make this less than two hours. So let's see how we go. We started around about four. Sharp. Let's see how we go. Um so I think, Christian, you you may have seen, I think you heard some of the pod we did from the Ericsson Stand at World Congress, and you may have seen some of the commentary that Ian and I wrote afterwards. The biggest takeaway I got from this year's World Congress was that we're at a bit of a pause. We were talking just beforehand about the old Gartner hype cycle. Mm -hmm. We're at a bit of a pause. It's not necessarily a criticism of anyone, no vendor, no operator, not the industry, although I did write a piece um, last Friday where I spoke to a, an someone on the operator side who, who didn't want to be named, who did seem to think that the operator side could do a lot better job of selling 5G, and we might get onto that. Obviously, you'll tread carefully because you're not going to piss off any of your customers. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my feeling was, okay, we've had 5G, we've had all the hype, which we all, we always take a piss out of. We spent the last five years taking a piss out of the hype. And us journalists do have a sort of slightly antagonistic relationship with the marketing world, except when they're buying us drinks, of course, and then they're great. Um, uh, and But no, I mean, I mean professionally, in the, I, I think it's part of our job to call out things when we think they're a bit overhyped. And generations of te of telecoms nearly always are, and I understand why from a from a marketer's point of view because mm -hmm. it's a once in a decade opportunity to make a big deal out of things and and sort of refresh the upgrade cycle both in terms of kit that you guys sell and, and handsets that you used to sell back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but so we've had that, and then obviously um, companies like Ericsson have sold a nice lot of kit to to various operators around the world, and they've started rolling that out. But now we're at a stage where it's not being hyped anymore, which I think is good. This, this seemed like a relatively unhypey mobile congress, but it's still not obvious how anyone's making any money out of it. So they've the operators have spent lots the of hype, money. The hype's other things now. The hype's hype other things. Yeah, well, we can get onto that. Yeah, um, but but yeah, you know, let's let's deal with the, the core sort of five G side of it, and then I'd yeah. be very happy to go off on on tangents about mm. other stuff that people are going on about. But I guess um, I guess the the way I'd like to start off the conversation um, is to see whether you agree with with my reflection from Mobile Congress about how we we we're not quite sure where the return on investment from from five G is right now. Mm. You know, is that a problem? Just to tell me whether you agree or not on that. I don't think I agree, but I think a lot of five G has yet to be built. I think you like a lot of five G has been built in uh, in some part of Asia. A lot of this also in the U.S. A lot of 5G has yet to be built in uh, in in Europe. So then, 
coming out and saying it's not being monetized, but if it's not built, there is... So when you say it's not okay, built, no. I mean, there's various stages to it, isn't it? We, we had the sort of non-standalone and that sort of thing. Are you talking about radio core, everything? It's, I think the amount of uh, standalone 5 core that are out there, there are a few now, it's starting to pick up, but it's still like an anecdote, I would say, versus like the full scale. Um, and then if you look at, um, there are still countries in Europe without 5G midband spectrum. Like yeah. Poland, the Netherlands, there is still yet to be like some 5G spectrum. So if you look at the whole uh, Europe, there is still a lot of sites that has yet to be built with like 5G midband and the full experience of is, 5G from a radio standpoint. Is yeah. that because of like countries like Poland or or one, other ones that haven't exploited midband? Is that to do with regulators not having released this yet, or is it because the operators don't see? No, this one is pure. There is no spectrum yet, so that has that will right. come hopefully during the summer in both of these countries. But it's like it's long in the making, and it's now we're like four years after the launch. Yeah, it's taking it. It's exactly so, and that's pure regulation like coming out and making the spectrum available. So if there is no spectrum, there is no chance to do it. Yeah, and then there is the other side of. Even if the spectrum was made available three, four years ago, then it's about rolling it out. And not all the countries are at the same pace. So you see some countries, actually the UK are pretty far advanced, yeah. uh, but other countries are still like in terms of pace of 5G midband rollout, 5G standalone, the actual like technology behind it has yet to be deployed. And why, mm. why do you think, because it sounds like, you know, they're a long way behind. I think you were saying the US is even better on that front in terms of rolling out mid-band, but certainly I guess people would cite somewhere like South Korea as being a, you know, a leader in, in this area. But why, why do you think it is that the countries that do have it haven't really exploited it? Well, I think if, like, if you look at statistics, there is probably less than 25% of the population today in Europe having a coverage of the mid-band. If you take those similar statistics, in uh, in South Korea, it's probably 90%. In the US, it's probably 80, 70, 80%. So that's kind of yeah. like the, the range and the gap. You're saying the US has 78% geographical coverage on 5G midband? Population coverage. Population coverage. Yeah, you, because you can't go and like the white yeah. zone, that's a different... Uh, no, like, just, there's no reason to clarify midband there. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but then on the reason why, why it's slow, I think there is also the aspect of... Uh, I mean, the overall market in Europe is very crowded in terms of like competition. So that it's uh, like investing into 5G, building a brand new network. Uh, it's uh, it comes uh, with investment, and then if it's like hyper hyper competitive, then it's difficult. Yeah. So it still feels to me, you know, I'm saying this partly to challenge you because obviously you're going to um, going to push back a little bit, and and rightly so. And I could well be talking shit. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> Um, that, that a lot of investment is required. And, you know, it's back to my in, initial point and, and the return on that investment, it, it feels like a bit of an article of faith. It feels like a bit of a build it and they will come. Whereas with 4G, um, I think, you know, perhaps because we'd had, we'd had the first go at mobile broadband with 3G. Mm-hmm. With 4G, I, I'd imagine that an operator could imag- could see the monetization. They could see how they'd, they'd yeah. charge people for sort of metered mm-hmm. data or, or whatever. You know, put yourself in, the, in an operator, as I'm sure you do, yeah. put yourself in an operator's point of view. Where, where are they getting the money from all the, the return on the money they're spending with you? Yeah. Just one thing is, if you look at the pace of 5G rollout versus 4G, it's actually two years faster. Right. If you just look at the pace of adoption, the number of subscribers, and the pace of like I would say equipment rollout, it's it's two years faster on five. But again, some of that would be down to non-standalone, wouldn't it? So you can yeah. you can have a subscriber, but as as I think you just um, said yourself, that's still not that's not proper five G, is it? Non-standalone. But, I mean, 
It's one piece. That's yeah. one leg. I mean, it's, to be real, 5G, you go standalone and you cut the 4G leg. And then you have the full like capability and all the slice and the service differentiation. But we're not there yet. I think that's uh, that's the other aspect. Then on your comment, going back to your origi- like original question, is the you were on the Ericsson booth, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, if you look at the use case, like the cloud gaming use case that that was on the booth. Yeah, we covered that one with the with the differentiated type of services. So if you have like let's say like quality like guarantee quarantine it's in terms of like latency to avoid the jitter then you start linking and it's like okay I, I could actually pay for this at least i could pay for this i'm not a gamer but then the other example that was on the booth which was i think it was a uh, teams professional teams so you go and you subscribe and say okay now yeah. i have like an important like business call to take uh, and you get like guaranteed latency you have mm-hmm. like guaranteed uh, i would say quality of service i can see the use case and the differentiation but, behind this yeah but but um, I mean, has, has anyone actually seen any benefits from those things? Because I know, I know these these use cases get cited that you can do that, yeah. you can do that. But I have not. When, been when, I, when I talk to people in Europe about the rollout of standalone on the operator side, and they yeah. and they t- explain to me why it's slow, it's challenging from a technical perspective and to do with Spectrum for one thing. Yeah. But then the, perhaps the bigger reason is that they don't see the the need for it. And I'm wondering whether these markets that have exploited it, perhaps like I'm guessing South Korea, China. Um, have seen any real benefits from it in terms of, you know, monetization, and mm. this gets into a slightly different area anyway. But you know, the operators as connectivity players yeah. don't make a lot of money from gaming services necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it might suit a developer, um, you know, a gaming company to have yeah. some of this available. But yeah. no, but I think you've seen the. I mean, there is, a, like, you could argue if it's correlation or not, but you could see in the market there are the most advanced. You see the actual trend of Arbo going down, like, before 2020, like, being reversed. And then some of this is because you do, like, bigger service bundle, because you move up at the tier, and you say you get more throughput, more capacity, so more mobile broadband for, like, more. Uh, in terms of actual offers and monetizing on service differentiation, I don't think we're there yet. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that's been kind of like at scale. I don't think we've seen like big differences in these. And, and I think, yeah. and I think that's an important admission um, because we're not there yet. It's going to take a little while. That's one of the biggest things I took from World Congress is people on, you know, people are talking like grown ups now. They're not overhyping. They're going, yeah, this yeah. this is a bit of a slow burner. It's going to take a little while to play out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the other thing, and we can get into that because that's directly relevant to Ericsson is the whole. Um, network exposure, API, Vonage um, angle. But, you know, that's another one that strikes me as a real slow burner. You know, when 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 Boyer and co. made that decision to do your biggest um, M&A with, with Vonage, you know, people like me and Ian, I mean, I won't speak for him, but I certainly wrote some sceptical things going, well, you know, I'm not sure why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can get from it as an outsider is that it's, it's a bet on the mid to long-term future. It's not a bet on tomorrow. It's a bet that this network exposure stuff is going to pay off for for Ericsson customers, for Ericsson and its mm-hmm. customers, it 5, 10, 20 years down the line. But that's quite a, you know, that's quite a patient um, bet, isn't it? I I mean, I I will tell you, that's a personal story. It's like when the, when I, from an Ericsson standpoint, we announced the acquisition and I tried to understand the, the logic. And then I realized like personally, I could I didn't understand this because I actually never understood the um, I would say the ecosystem around communication platform as a service. What yeah. happened in terms of SMS and video as a service, and I found it refreshing 
versus like it, like there is something out there that actually is new that is happening in the in the telecom industry and that we want to come across and say now we want to emulate from the top versus like I would say being like from an Ericsson standpoint a traditional vendor. Yeah. That got me excited to actually try to understand the logic behind it. Well, and I, th and I think some kind of pivot's required because one thing that's obvious to me about 5G is, you know, I, I've i started um, getting, uh, James will be aware of this because he was on the email chain, getting responses to a, a piece I'm going to write that's just going to be entitled, What is 5G? Mm -hmm. um, this, is partly, uh, this is partly prompted by my colleagues in SEO okay. who assure me that there's lots of searches for what is 5G. So fair enough. Why don't we try and write the definitive thing so that when people search it, they come to our thing? And, and I'm just getting various people, Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, operators, analysts, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to collate them all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and then and I thought just just to get a sense on, on the consumer side, I just went down and spoke to my wife and my daughter. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, what do you think about 5G? And they just shrugged. They couldn't give a toss. Well, I think that's one of the, the industry's problems. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. This is what I, my, in my meandering way I was leading up to. Um, and so, so I can see why, you know, without necessarily saying for sure that Ericsson's bet on Vonage is, is the right bet, I can see why there's a need to, to diversify and, and to bet on, on different paradigms because people just don't give a shit about, but, but it's don't give a shit about 5G. Operators don't increasingly care about to, to speak to so i mean it was on the record so i spoke to howard watson's bt's cto at mobile world congress he's like there's too much focus on the g's yeah you know we, we need to talk to customers about what they want and what services with their service yeah you know totally. the, the, the whole g's thing is quite bizarre really because it was never i don't think we had this you know if you go back 30 or 40 years this idea that we'd have this progression through i mean i remember no. being involved in the 3g mm -hmm. uh, bidding sort of uh beauty contest process yep. in a few countries. I was on the analyst side at the time. And I remember talking to consultants involved in that and they were like, well, 3G is a technical term. It's, it's mm. not going to get pitched like that to consumers. And it has been. Mm. And then the same thing's been done with 4G and 5G. And you even got operators yet, naming themselves three you know, because and, of it. And yet really all it is is a way of, of gathering sort of industry attention around something yeah. that is a release and, and, <laughs> and injecting a bit more oomph into it. But it's a it's a technical progression. It's not like we all get excited about the the new tyres that are going to come along. And I'm, yeah. well, well, some people, some people might. Might. I, I know. Some but, sad um, geeks. But it, it's... I think that the, the switch from 2G to 3G maybe was more marketable, perhaps, mm. because it was the first time really that... There was all that hype around the auctions as well. Well, it was... A, that was like front page stuff, the amount they were shelling out. On it, it was going from having used your phones to do to do phone calls yeah. and text to all of a sudden potentially having web services on it in a, in a better way. And it didn't really work for a while at first because of the device ecosystem and other things. And then I think your point about 4G was when that became... Mm. We had the iPhone, we had better networks, we had lots of things coming together... Mm -hmm. I don't and the, think, and the last I don't decade, think the industry's the... got it wrong necessarily with five G. I just think because networks. I mean, what can a network be? This is why I'm skeptical of some of these. You know, re you read some of these white papers from the NGMN, and they start talking about things like brain computer interfaces and mm. and smelling. And they're not they're not smelling. they're not smelling over. They're not They're not connectivity things. You know, Con connectivity can only be something. It can't be. It can't reinvent itself and and solve cancer. You know, so I, I just feel, you know, when you say what's 6G going to be, what's 7G mm. going to be, well, they work within a certain, you know, they work mm. within certain yeah, constraints. Fair. There's only certain things they can do. They can be greener, they can be faster, they can be but, lower latency. I but, think there is a subtlety that happened on 4G along the way that it become, it became, sorry, something that is a given. That's one. Two, it became more like the expectation that it's resilient. 
and it's used for public safety, it's used for mission critical, like, and connecting things. So and besides consumer and like web browsing, there is a big shift that happened over the last four or five years that did not used to be the case. Now, like you have entire infrastructure relying on the fact that there is a connectivity behind it in a very resilient fashion. Yeah. There are public safety systems that are running on like a public safety uh, like system relying on 4G today. And that is, that is a, a, I would say, a critical use case that was not before. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. that's, that's one of the, um, the dilemmas the industry is in. It did such a great job with 4G. Um, and, I, and by the way, I agree that the Gs, I mean, we're sort of constrained by it. There's certain cliches and certain words where you regret having to use them, but they're, but they're so endemic, it's hard to get away from them. And, and 4G was such a success. Mobile broadband on 4G is such a satisfactory consumer experience. And then we got the robustness yeah. um, and reliability that Christian was just talking about. I suppose the question is, that, like, where do you go from there? But I, I mean, from my perspective, I, I don't think the industry has necessarily got it wrong with with the way with five G. It's not like there's a big mistake. It's just what what are we expecting it to do? You, yeah, you're going to have to upgrade yeah. your network equipment every ten years. You want to buy state of the art stuff. You don't want to buy something that's twenty years old. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you get five G. You need it for energy efficiency as much as anything, don't you? I mean, this is one of the big things. Is that I know, did th uh, that's, that's, that was actually a big theme in Mobile World Congress. Like, if uh, I mean, I'm, my own team we did some analysis. If you have equipment out there that is more than eight years old, and you go and refresh it, you like like for like. If you put more capacity, that's different. But like you save typically fifty percent energy. Mm. Yeah, like for like. So then, if yep. you start throwing five G and more capacity, and this, and obviously that's especially the... topical right now since energy got a bit harder to get hold of. But <laughs> I, I imagine there's a there's a there's a kind of parallel in other industries where they you know look at people who run data centers and they're introducing technology into the data yeah. centers. Okay. It's a lot more energy yeah. efficiency, but they don't go. Why isn't this technology making us loads of money and 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 producing fortune in future? It's mm -hmm. the industry's existential crisis. I think is not really to do with five G. It's more to do with what position operators have in the ecosystem and are they just going to do connectivity or are they going to do something else? Mm. But I think this, mm. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be as sympathetic towards the vendor's view here, here in a way, because vendors need to sell equipment, operators are always going to need to buy it. But the problems that operators have got in terms of monetization, I don't think is necessarily to do with... Okay, so what do you think about that from a, no, the for, operator? Now, for me, the key is that there are still, let's say, currencies. I forgot who like coined that term on the uh, on the on the networks that there are like capabilities of the network that are not being exposed. We're taking this as like mobile broadband, so it's perfect for streaming. So you go and you can like like you get a big pipe and then you stream it. But there are other capabilities. Let's say like lowering the jitter so that you actually have a guaranteed like uh, like time where the the information is going to show up, like. Coverage, guaranteed coverage. So, that, let so me these just, capabilities let me just cover is not is not that's something that I think like can get monetized. So, so each of those in place, I'm not necessarily trying to pick holes in it. I'm just trying to interrogate it. The Jitter one. So I I, I did that demo yep. on the Ericsson stand, and we wrote it up, um, and and it corresponded with a with a with a press release that we covered, and with a cloud gaming company called Blacknut. I think they're called. Yeah, it's a funny name for a company, if you ask me. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy all sorts of bizarre images in my mind. Um, but yeah, uh, the only thing I was trying to work out, and this could be a failure of my own imagination, and it could also be, you know, here am I. Um, you didn't think the iPad would take off. Yeah, exactly. I've I've got plenty of fails in the past where I went You're iPad. Not the only one, by the iPad, way. That's just yeah. a big, it's just a big iPod. What's the big fucking deal? Um, uh, I mean, I still think, you know, obviously the bigger deal 
in hindsight on that has been the iPhone. But yeah, well, well, it I, has there's, been, definitely there's, there's, there's plenty, yeah. there've been plenty of those that, that Pierre's always kind enough to highlight on the pod. <laughs> um, but so it could be a failure of imagination, but you say, okay, jitter. I'm not aware, but then again, I'm not a sort of fanatical gamer. I'm yeah. not aware of jitter being a problem in my life, a pain point to use corporate speak. Yeah. But is that like ping? No, it, it's the fact that you know, let's say it's like in pure technical term, you know the packet that you're expecting to receive is showing up within a, like a, a bounded latency. So you know it's going to show up within that time. Why? Because if, if it's pure streaming, like Netflix, for instance, it does, doesn't matter because you have big bursts of traffic and you mm -hmm. upload in advance, you download in advance. That's mm -hmm. not the case because here you constantly go up and down. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but if you're in congested area, back to your question, so let's say there's a lot of people doing the same thing. Yeah. You're in like Paddington train station and you actually want to go and play. Right. Likely you will experience some jitter. Yeah. And so yeah. the question is, okay, how do you solve there, this first case? And let's say in a like crowded space. I suppose so. And it's, it's, it's the total available market I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's, uh, this comes up, you know, we often take the piss out of um, like VR mm -hmm. as a use case that's often used for 5G. And we always think it's a bit, it's a bit misguided because, you know, those people who are going to be using VR headsets mm -hmm. that are wireless are, are going to be doing it in a, in a quite constrained environment, probably on Wi-Fi. The amount of people using virtual reality on 5G, like walking around the street and bumping into lampposts and getting run over and that sort of thing. But that was the use case in the UK like two years ago where it was a utility company going out and like identifying where the pipes are before you go and dig a big hole in the street. Well, that, so, that so that's where... Case for that's, VR. Yeah, that's a good... So that's, that's where there are, there are many more use cases. Yeah. You know, and we, and we, we throw words like killer app out there and I did like in, in the questions I'm asking people about this 5G thing, I've deliberately thrown killer app out there in, in the knowledge there isn't one because yeah. I want to see how people... Um, respond to that, mm -hmm. and it's a cliche but as well. I don't think JIT is a killer app. I mean, JIT no. is something that could make your killer app better and make it work. But the, the, one of the issues I've got with these network ex network functions yeah. that are being exposed is, you know, I still think we don't really know whether how monetizable some of that is. You know, whether there is going to be a stream yeah. of money, and 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 some of them yeah. don't sound. They almost sound like the things that people were talking up a little while ago to do with network slicing. Now, mm -hmm. maybe there's a crossover, but when you talk about things like quality of service, which mm -hmm. is one, and, and latency, they were they were they were things that uh, you know a year or two ago people were saying, well, we'll have slices and you can guarantee something and do it that way. And now it's all of a sudden it seems to have gone to APIs a bit. My, my the other question for me is because I did talk to Von Arge about this a bit. At, yeah. Um, but I didn't actually ask them this question. It's one of those questions you go, oh, I should have asked that afterwards. But if you're, you know, we're talking about this quality of service feature a lot. And I was thinking, mm -hmm. well, it's a software API, but, you know, nothing's going to make up for a, a broken base station or a, a, a spectrum constrained operator. Mm -hmm. You know, surely if you get those things right, that's going to give you the quality of service anyway that you need in a, in a particular area. Yeah, but then you go back to like, let's say you have a big pipe. Like, how do you split that pipe? So that goes back to technologies or slice, fair enough, from a radio standpoint. Like, but it, so if you want to guarantee the jitter, you still have to like manage the, the, the quality of service throughout the end to end from a radio standpoint, from a core standpoint, and then you still have to like slice it. Yeah. Okay. That's the underlying technology. So the APIs wouldn't do away with the need for slicing. They would. No, it's, I mean, the slice is like in a way what you like, it's the, it's the way you actually fulfill the need on the network side. If you go and you put the QoS like APIs out there and say this specific like use case for BlackNut, and I need a specific QoS, 
uh, quality of service, then you actually like fulfill with a slice in the back end. Yeah. That's the underlying technology. But I think that's besides the point. The, the point is like, what is it that you expose? Like, what is the capability that you want to get uh, paid for? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I'm still, again, this could be a failure of imagination or abstract reasoning or whatever on my part, trying to work out what network exposure actually means over and above what we have now. So obviously, you know, app developers have some sort of access to the network yeah. so much as, you know, if, if you're if an Uber app, it's, it's, it's baked into Uber that, that that's going to have access to mm-hmm. the network. What? But that's not what we mean by network exposure, is it? But that's with the idea of like mobile broadband. Yeah. Essentially, like there will be packets that will be carried across the network at a certain time with a certain amount of throughput, but nothing is guaranteed. Right. Yeah. In general, it works. That's kind of like with some level of coverage. Then the idea is like, are there things in there that are more critical that like yeah. actually could get it like exposed? That's kind of the idea. So then, saying it's like a common, a common pipe. So the network exposure and the network slicing slash quality of service thing, they're sort of part of the same big picture. Yes. Right, and and people can tap into it, and and with with some of these capabilities that five G brings along, especially standalone five G with the five yeah. G core, they can then tap into these different sort of features or subsets of the network mm-hmm. and do and do bespoke things. Correct. So, so that's the way you actually yeah it goes back to fulfillment of the request, and then you yeah. Really and, and then yeah. and then the business idea is that say a, a gaming company might pay, you know, it might pay for for those features basically. So it pays pays Vonage actually pays a kind of platform, yeah, and you know, and then then the money filters down. Well, that's what the yeah. black nut thing. When I was when yeah. I was saying, I can't imagine myself just on my phone, just going, "All right, here's a tenner to make sure that I can have a better gaming experience," and then as yeah. a consumer, no, but the company's yeah, well, more exactly. Absolute. So yeah. so it'd be more likely that the that the business model was was pre-consumer. Yeah, I mean the, the example that was given to me by Vonage, it was Savine Berry who I spoke to. <laughs> Savine, He's yeah. pretty senior, but he was he gave the example of like someone on the road having to make a, a call to a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, like a telehealth consultation, video based, mm-hmm. you know, and then it cuts out because you've got quality of service issues. And it's a it's a critical conversation. You know, your time with the doctor is important. And yeah. then the doctor actually they go and complain to their telehealth provider and the telehealth provider. Yeah. And apparently discussions have gone on anyway. Sort of wrote it in the story, but they'd be willing to pay a bit of money for access to this sort of you know if they mm-hmm. can get access to these core features that mean that's not going to happen. Then they pay a bit more money. They pay pay a premium basically for it. And that's where the monetization yeah. comes in. Is a premium they're paying. So that's yeah. how it's supposed to work in in theory. Yeah, and and so this is this is where you know when I when I write sort of things like what's the point of five G and I'm and I'm begging the question rather than saying I don't think there's any point to it. Um, a lot of the point of it is just harder to get your head around. That's a, that's the real thing I took away, and, and and this is as much a challenge for us as journalists as it is for people within the industry. The whole thing's just harder to get your head around. Like from on the Monday morning, I was sat there. Ericsson stand, partly because um, I wasn't a big fan of the facilities they put on at the show. And Ericsson stand. Outside coffee the was stand. good, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ericsson exactly. Was the best I don't know if you, you like the, the special. Oh, did you see that thing I wrote? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to mention, my sort of, my <laughs> coffee metaphor, which I'm not going to claim is the best metaphor ever, but it occurred to me on a Monday morning in Barcelona. Um, but yeah, it was just the bewildering choice. That was yeah. why the, the metaphor occurred to me. 
and that's it. We, we've got all this choice, all these things to get our head around. It actually means that people like me and Ian have got to do our job because it's not easy. We, we, we've actually got to know some stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and use our brains when we're writing these things, which, which I don't necessarily regret, except if I'm feeling tired and hungover in Barcelona. Um, but yeah, that's part of it. It's, it's, it seems to be mainly a B2B offering. There isn't that much we can, I could say to my wife and my daughter last night when they were going, I don't care. There wasn't much I could say to them to say, well, this is why you should But, but they might feel the benefits down the line. That's the yeah. the idea. They they wouldn't pay for it themselves. And, and explaining all of that to them would be very confusing. But at the end of the day, if you are on one of those calls and it doesn't cut out, you're going yep. to feel better yep. about things. Or if you're a gamer and, and you're, you're playing Fortnite and you get to shoot the guy first because you haven't got problems with latency and jitter, then... Or well, my daughter, you know. who's addicted to YouTube, um, yeah. at the moment that would cut out, we'd n- I'd know all about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, do you, do you agree with with my generalisation there that the five G, at least as it is now, and for the foreseeable future, is is mainly a B two B play? There may be a B two B to C thing, like Ian exactly was just that's about. the B two B to C. I think that's interesting. That, yeah. that's that's important. But I think the, the the way you frame it at the beginning, which is like the age of maturity, and we're like we passed yeah. the maximum of hype, and now we're like some of these network have been built, and now we're st- starting to like work the slope of enlightenment, the smooth, like, exactly. <laughs> you, yeah. On the sort of standalone issue, because you know it's that's one thing you were saying is going quite slowly in in Europe. But mm-hmm. is it a bit kind of chicken and egg? You know, people are waiting for something to happen, and then. Because I'm trying but, to see whether it really is a service thing mainly or whether it's to do with some of these constraints. People say, well, we need the mm-hmm. spectrum to be, we need to have kind of wide area coverage on 5G yeah. before we do it because then you'll have gaps, basically. That you Correct, don't want, exactly. You, you need know. to have a fair amount of 5G being built up on the radio side uh, with contiguous coverage before you actually have a meaningful, uh, let's say, consumer offer when it comes to standalone. Otherwise, you keep on falling in and out from 4G to 5G and then like, or 5G to 4G. Okay. But Seems I think like we're getting there. Problem. So once you have like, I would say like the entire city of London with full coverage of, uh, of 5G with the mid-band, then you start having a, like a way to have a consumer offer when it comes to standalone towards like, let's say a control environment, an enterprise, a standalone, it's you, like you have it covered to start with. So that's a different use case. Yeah. But for consumer standalone, yeah, you need contiguous coverage of 5G mid-band. Right. And then and then the other issue people talk to me about is this business of going with the core to a kind of cloud native core and it's quite a different way of doing things from how they've worked in the past and But that's te- so this is this is technology. So in a way and for me it's like it has nothing to do or it has like we the the timing of cloud native and like changing the technology corresponds to like 5G but it could like the same way we virtualize in the middle of 4G. I think it's uh, it just happened to be at the same time. Yeah, so now we're it's, also it's not exactly a 5G specific thing. It's just something people want to be able to take advantage of on the technology yeah, exactly. side. It's just like the, te- the technology is mature enough that now we can go with containers and we can deploy cloud native and bare metals and all of this. I would chain of yeah. uh, innovation that is coming at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And do, you, and do you think, I mean, in terms of the progress, because when I spoke to you about this specific topic about Europe sort of lagging, it was mm-hmm. probably two years ago, but... Is the it, first time we yeah. talked about it, I think it was like Europe is at risk of falling behind. That's and right. the second time was, it's, I it's think, Europe behind. fell behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now it's a long way behind? Or? <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think my, uh, I, I guess the, the way I see it is that you start seeing um, like slow and steady, but it actually is happening. And then you have like a few countries that have yet to start. And that's kind of the way I, I see it. So you actually, it's, yeah. not a, it's not the same kind of picture that you're looking at for Europe. So you start seeing like two different, uh, yeah, two different pace. Right. 
Is it? Could you give us any sense of the geography? Is it like Western Europe versus Eastern Europe, or is it not as simple as that? No, it's not as simple as I think. I think if you look at the UK, if you look at France, uh, the Nordic countries, I think it's the pace is like it's happening. I think there is actually a, 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 a fair amount of 5G midband that has been deployed in the, in the UK, for instance. I don't think that's the case for other countries. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just competition driving that, or you know, once you get the spectrum available and somebody else starts to do it? Then the question is like, do is are some of these markets I would say hyper competitive, and then there is a there's a tough case to go and invest. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a sweet spot, I suppose, because you don't want it to be, you don't want no competition and then people just stick with the same thing they've had, but you don't want 10 Yeah, that's the idea. As a consumer, is like, then you, you might benefit from, let's say, a lower monthly bill, but then you don't have access to a great network. So, and like, which one do you want to pick? So, that's, I guess, that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Where yeah. you want to be, yeah? Yeah. Do you spend much time thinking about, well, I'm sure you do, but whether or not you're prepared to talk about it now is another matter. We'll find out now. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> The the issue of sort of competition law within Europe, let's exclude the UK because obviously famously we're not part of the EU anymore, for which I'm partly responsible. Okay. Um, but I mean, I wrote I wrote a few things in, in the last month or so, um, partly speculative, just about where Europe might be going. It seemed to be warming to the thought of greater consolidation, both within countries and cross border. And there was one thing where I actually got a Remember, we spoke about it on the pod. I got a comment straight from them about how they seem to be implying that they imagined this Europe of the future with just four or five sort of mega cross-border operators. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've certainly heard um, uh, Boya Ekholm, CEO of Ericsson, talk about how, I, I, correct me if I'm misquoting him, how he'd quite like um, Europe to chill a little bit. That's obviously not a direct quote. Um on on that and let and let a bit more M&A happen, let a bit more consolidation happen. And I can understand the vested interest on the part of Ericsson because obviously the some of the um, economies of scale mm-hmm. that would then be um, uh, enjoyed by those operators, they could then spend on lovely shiny grey boxes that you sell. Uh, one of which I was picking they up are on. Your yeah, 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 exactly. They are. Well, it's, it's they are, always very light, though. I feel. I feel for you. you uh, pull your back. Yeah, your you colleagues kind of... on the challenge on the marketing side, when, when basically what you're flogging is grey boxes. It's they're not the most photogenic things. Um, but yes, so I can see why Ericsson would have an interest. But what, what are your thoughts um, on on that? You know, do you think it would be better for the industry on the whole in Europe if there was a bit more consolidation allowed? But I think the background is that if you look at the telecom industry in Europe, the return on investing capital has more or less been like negative over the last few years. Yeah. Mm. So if you then compare with other, I would say, geographies where you have less, uh, like, I would say, yeah, less players, and you see this the other way around. And there is actually a correlation with uh, 5G being built up or not. And also the end user experience in terms of like, let's say like peak throughput and latency. So the actual network, how it's being built. So that's the reason why I think, I don't know what was the quote from my CEO, but that's I think he was talking to CNBC maybe in the run up to Mobile World Congress. And he was said, it one of those Davos things that he does? Maybe. But he, but the, skiing in the background. I mean, I wasn't sitting in on the interview, obviously. So you just read the way it's been written by the yeah. reporter, but it was, it was a kind of Ericsson CEO says this, this the industry is not sustainable this way in Europe mm-hmm. and, and, and it's clearly sort of this idea I think that you have I mean I, I find this notion of cross-border consolidation a bit odd to be honest with you because if you had four or five big groups across Europe you'd still have four Mol- or five pe- yeah. people in, on, on the ground I think mm-hmm. you want really sort of I mean you're comparing Europe with countries that have three 
essentially, aren't you, in, in the US and China, yeah. the three very big operators yeah. with huge scale economies. But also the fact is in any one busy area, you don't have you don't have too many players, basically. Yeah. So um, I think that's the tension they have. That from, I was speaking to someone, um, I was speaking to an equity analyst who I think I might have mentioned anonymously on the pod before. He didn't want to be named. They, they're quite shifty, these equity analysts. They like to keep their names out of the headline. Um, but it, I, I get, I got the impression from him and from my own um, research and reporting that there's basically two key decision makers within the European Commission that don't necessarily see eye to eye on this. There's there's Margarita Vestager, who I, I can't pronounce the name. Either. Yeah, I was Danish. I don't know. John Strand will tell me how whether I got it right or not. Um, and she's the one. She positions herself as pro consumer. So she sort of wants there to be quite a lot of competition. She wants low prices. She She's wary of consolidation because she thinks that will lead to less competition and higher prices. And then on the other side, there's Thierry Breton. You two can both tell me how I've done on that one. <laughs> We've a Thierry Breton, innit? Um, and he's a bit more pro-consolidation, a bit more pro-business. Mm. I mean... I. That's obviously a very binary way of putting it, pro-consumer or pro-business. It doesn't have to be either or. Um, but I get the impression that there's a little bit of a battle of wills going on between them and their and their cabals within Europe. But, um, yeah, I mean, do, do you have a feeling of whether you wish there was more consolidation allowed and, and how that would sort of manifest itself? Do you think there's an optimum number of operators within a given territory? I think the... I mean, I, I can't comment on like the like like the the EU like right on, no, uh, but I think what's interesting is there is the case of uh, the announced merge between Massmobile and Orange in Spain. And I think that's a very tangible use case. Let's see if there are specific remediation that will be like. Well, actually, there was uh, I think Reuters so was reporting that they're going to have a closer look at that. Yeah, um, but that's yeah. that's a very kind of it's, if you want to count points, like that. that's the way you can do it. Yeah. But it's funny because these things get talked about at a very high level in the EU and, the, you know, you, you feel that the telco bosses have gone and spoken to Vestager or Breton at a meeting and had some positive feedback, but then it gets looked at by a local authority or people further down and they do their paperwork on it and say, we're having another look. And, mm, and, so th many and, moving and, then, and then when they do get allowed, like the, the merger in Italy that happened a few years ago between, um, I can't remember the names of the companies now, Wind and... Tree. Wind tree. Wind tree. Yeah. Wind and three producing wind three or wind tree. But yeah. but then they go, well, there, as a remedy, you have to go and sell some assets to, to Ilya. the most aggressive player yeah. in Europe and, and then kind of worse off. Yeah, and then the industry's worse off. So I, I got I got a feeling I don't want to put words in your mouth that the Ericsson collectively would be quite happy with something like a sort of three operators per country where where they could invest more. I think that, like, if I were to answer is the way I think about it is that we need a healthy industry yep. in terms of like, in terms of like the, the operators and right now it's not a healthy industry financially. Back to the comment that like, if you aggregate the return on invested capital, it's negative over the last few years. And that's especially so in Europe. Yeah, well, that's specifically right. in Europe. Yeah, specifically no, in exactly. Europe. Specific. Yeah. And that, so the point is that if one one lever is like through consolidation that you actually can create scale and like a better... Well, yeah, a better, a healthier industry. But Barclays did a report last year where they looked at a return on capital employed against weighted average cost of capital, and the only market I think in Europe that was positive, positive yeah. was Germany. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the only three-player market mm -hmm. in 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 Europe. 
Uh, mm. In Western Europe, they were looking yeah, at the yeah. Western European Cup. It's the only three. Uh, it's becoming four player, but the fourth player isn't getting very far at the moment. So, mm-hmm. um, I, well, I, think, I think it's also because you have a lot of MVNOs as well, isn't it? I guess in Europe, I mean, some markets are sort of awash with MVNO competition to an extent that I don't think maybe you see in in some. I think that's a fair world. comment. I think it's not just the amount of uh, let's say physical network. It's also the, the number of brands and MVNO that are working on on top. I think Spain yeah. is a, a specific example. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that said before. Yeah. Um, Actually, it occurs to me, while we're talking geographically, you've, you've obviously, as we were just chatting about, you have to fly over the Atlantic a fair bit. I don't know very much about the Latin American market yeah. at all. Um, although, believe it or not, I was born there. I was born in Chile. Oh, nice. And I lived in Argentina until I was five years old. And then I came back to England and forgot all my Spanish. And then once a year in Barcelona, it's I sort of right. cry. Yeah, it's all right. But it's you know, it was my first language. It's certainly far from that now. But um, so I've got a soft spot for Latin America, and I've got family out there as well. Um, but I don't know much about it. Okay. Um, Where do you want to know? Well, so let's start with what we were just talking about in terms of the overall market dynamics. Yeah. So, so you're talking about Europe as uh, it being quite tough to sort of get returns mm-hmm. or adequate returns. Uh, what's it like for operators in Latin America in that way? Let, let me pick on Chile because I think that's yeah. uh, dear dear to your heart. Um, 40% of the population in Chile has access to 5G midband right now. Right. Wow. So which is more than the average that you get in Europe today. So it's uh I think the way the the regulator came out with the rules and like the the 5G licenses that was two and a half years ago was I would say very smart and and then the network has been deployed and so it's a uh, so if I pick on just Chile, I think that would be one example. Uh, the other two big markets in Latin America is Mexico and Brazil. Yeah, I think Mexico they launch uh, that was January or December like uh, twenty one, and then Brazil they launch five G over the summer last year. The like the actual pace of five G rollout is uh, is very aggressive. There are actually there are there are multiple ladder to the, to this. I think. The, the underlying capacity needs, the underlying demand on this network is still massively growing at a, at a faster pace than what we see typically in Europe in terms of like the amount of uh, data. And these networks are pretty congested in the big cities, in the megapole. And so there is a pure use case yeah. of rolling out 5G and just like taking care of, is, uh, I would is, say, the Is that pure... partly to do with people relying less on fixed broadband in some of these countries? I know that's very much a factor. That depends. India, that is... is very specific. Yeah, yeah. You, you would argue some part of Brazil, there is like, and that you have a lot of fixed wireless access, for instance. But mm-hmm. like, it's not, it depends. It's very country specific. Some countries have quite a bit of fiber, actually. Okay. Yeah, I, like millions of people living in favelas. So well, the, the, oh, well some of the biggest cities in the world are in Latin America, for mm. example, Sao Paulo or Mexico yeah. City or whatever. And that is a, like Sao Paulo is, um, I think the the moment we launch 5G uh, over one of the network, I mean, we are one of the, uh, we've seen a big, like the big pipe that you open in 5G midband, the C-band started to get like loaded very, very quickly, which means that there was, there was an underlying need, yeah? So, so big driver, one of the big drivers for 5G in certain parts of Latin America is that, is that density, is that sort of large city yeah. capacity. And capacity need. management yeah. to start with, yeah? Beyond like, then there are other use cases, but the, like the very first, I would say, case that we see is associated to uh, yeah, capacity relief, yeah? Fair enough. And, and to, before we move away from fixed wireless access, I wrote a piece this week, wrote, wrote a couple of pieces this week that I blatantly ripped off from light reading from your colleague, uh, Mike Dano, just because they're interesting. Shout out to Mike. Shout out to Mike Dano. Um, and one of them was just um, 
The reason I bring them up is they had a surprising amount of traffic um, just because they were like little five, six paragraph jobs. It took me about an hour to write. But sometimes you just whack those out and they get more traffic than something you spend days over. It's, it's a weird paradox of being a journalist. And one was called Fixed Wireless Access is Booming in the US. I know that's not a territory that you cover. Um, but back to our original point that we're exploring at the start of this pod about 5G use cases and and, mm -hmm. and, and monetization, that sort of thing. You know, an early one does seem to be fixed wireless access. It is. Absolutely, but it's, I mean, it's it's one part. Of, it's it's actually the first successful 5G use case that we have out there. We see it in the US. We see it in some part of Europe. You see it in Finland, for instance, in Norway, in Central Europe. But it doesn't fit every single country because some yeah. countries have a massive amount of fiber today. So you can complement and say, okay, there's some aspect that you. See and it's never going to be as good as fiber, obviously. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Like, what? if you don't have fiber, so if, like, laying out fiber takes a while. So yeah, yeah. Like, but I'm so saying if you have fiber, you'd never fall back onto fixed wireless access because fiber would be better. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. But, yeah, a lot of places you don't. Yeah. And it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's a fair way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's faster than nothing, yeah? Well, I mean, it's just so interesting, this US thing. It never would have occurred to me how, how big it is. There was... Um, there was... Uh, the, yeah, this the four million subscribers. Yeah, on fixed wireless. Like that, from, yeah, um, from just just from T-Mobile and, and from Verizon. Verizon. Is that used? That's used quite a lot in uh, Latin America as well. FWA is that a big market for it in some. So areas? we so, see some four. There is four G fixed wireless access. I think right. what you what you want to cover here is the the aspect of five G fixed wireless access. And the big difference four G to five G is done on on five G fixed wireless access because you rely on C band or mid band. You can actually guarantee QoS. Yeah, on 4G, right. a lot of it is best effort. Okay, I see. Yeah. The mobile broadband sharing best effort. I think the like C band or the the mid band that you built on, you can actually start saying, okay, you will have guaranteed throughput. Yeah, uh, that is the big difference. Then do, do we see a lot of 5G fixed wireless access being rolled out or as a as a consumer offer yet in Latin America? No, but we actually think it's going to be successful. Gee, those markets. I mean, we we're just talking about. Three, three player and four player markets, but are they? Is is Latin America quite different in that respect? Is it also um, less congested, less crowded than parts of Europe? Uh, that, I mean, that would depend. If you look at uh, you are, Brazil, yeah. there were four, and I think they consolidated into three. So, right. um, or it was like acquired by the, like the assets with, with the other three. Um, then Mexico is a really specific, specific market, a market of three, but you have a very strong player out of the three. Um, and then you have you have markets that are also four. Right. You have new players coming in. Chile is an example where you actually have uh, quite a bit of uh, new players coming in. And Telefonica is present in quite a lot of them, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I always saw that region as being traditionally being two big players, one being Telefonica and one being... Um, Carlos Claro. Slim. Claro. Yeah. yeah, Carlos Slim, yeah. Is that, is that is he Carlos Slim Claro or is that... More? Yeah, no, it is. That, but, yeah, it's AMX Group, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I get I get the brands mixed up. I was going to say Movistar, but that's not that's a Spanish yeah, thing. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Claro is Claro is the brand, yeah, that's used a lot by the the, the Slim businesses. Yeah, good name, Carlos Slim. Carlos <laughs> <laughs> Sim. Yay. Um, yes. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. That, actually, that 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 sort of five G fixed wireless access it might lead us onto the millimeter wave that we were that we were threatening to ask you to talk about earlier. Just one thing. I we've spoken about this in the in the past in the pod the the different um, frequencies, mm 
So we all know that these sort of the lower frequencies are great. They've got mm -hmm. great um, propagation characteristics. They penetrate walls. They've got long range. Yeah. All that sort of thing. And then loosely, my understanding of the physics is that the higher frequency you go, the shitter that gets. I think that's what they say in the ITU. That's how they describe it. <laughs> um, and obviously mid-band, as the name implies, is sort of halfway between yeah. the best bit and millimeter wave. But with a typical fixed wireless access, um, you know, even with like trees and stuff in the way, and last I checked, there's a fair few trees in Latin America, um, you still get a decent range on a, on a sort of on, fixed wireless access. Oh, you mean on mid-band, on 2.5? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, but, do you know off the top of your head what kind of range we're talking about? Or does it vary a lot? It's the same It's the same you get in London or in the UK. It's the same yeah. type of band. But, you, but you're not using millimeter wave for, 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 for FWA usually. In the, you mean in the Latin America? There are actually, there is some in, um, yeah. in Chile, actually. There is some deployment of millimeter wave, but it's not typically the case yet. That's yeah. that scale like what we see in the, in the US, yeah? For where, wireless access, yeah? Yeah, where do you see that going, though, the millimeter wave market? Because there's talk of, there's auctions sort of coming up, aren't there, here in this country, yeah. I think. And like Scott was saying, a lot of people were very sceptical about it. I, I was at a Qualcomm event a few weeks ago where they were obviously talking it up unsurprisingly because, you know, in some more equipment. But it's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to sort of see how it would be used, I guess, in a commercial setting. You yeah. know, is it going to be kind of factory deployments and that kind of thing? Or the, but that, uh, that was, So that was part of my keynote, so yeah. very topical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the, the, the first, I think... Uh, for me, that is important is that the technology is mature. It's not a, it's not a technology conversation in, yeah. in the sense of like, is there, are the chipsets available? Are there like an ecosystem of device? Do we have radios that actually, so it's been like four years and the fourth generation of like equipment that we put out there and from a radio standpoint, from a chipset standpoint. So it's, it's out there. It's mature. It's at scale in the US. Right. There are actually millions of devices with millimeter wave capabilities. There is, I think we shift from a pure, from a pure Ericsson standpoint, more than a hundred thousand millimeter wave radios. So it's a, it's right. not an anecdote. That's so, what so it's actually used in the US on a, on a kind of macro network basis. But, but I know, then, I know and, then the, and I think one of the mistakes we do is we look at millimeter wave and we think like, oh, how, how much is the coverage? It's not a coverage. It's a capacity relief uh, conversations. It's a yeah, capacity so hotspot. Very dense so environment. Right, exactly. Right. So you go in a stadium, you go in a hotspot in Times Square, you put some millimeter wave, you take care of the traffic, the insane amount of traffic that is carried in this location. So you, you'd so sort of have your, your macro network. You have then, it, but you complement. And it, that it's is like a, like a mini kind of thing that sucks a lot of stuff up within the yeah. broader sort of macro network. And so we see this in the US, we see it in Japan, now we also see it in Australia. So it's not, that, so the ecosystem is picking up. I think China will like, is also doing some trials on millimeter wave right now. Um, then is this picking up in Europe for consumer? No, we have a lot of engagement, but like more like contrary environment for enterprise. And the reason why millimeter wave is, is interesting for enterprise, it's because of the uplink. So right. if you think like you have uh, for people like Pierre, you have like eight hundred up, uplink his video. Uplink. Up, no, upload exactly. his videos. So one of the yeah. case exactly is, is like media production and, and like you actually want to move a, a huge amount of traffic up, mm -hmm. and then you have eight hundred megahertz to, uh, or like a, like a gig of uh, of uh, of mega of uh, of hertz available, mm -hmm. and then you can change the pattern. You can see instead of going seventy five downlink and twenty five uplink, you change it. You say seventy five uplink. That's a huge amount of traffic that you can move up. And that gets interesting for the enterprise, for like stadium, mm. and you have media, media coverage. So that's Is that it. something you reckon professionally, Pierre, if, you, if um, you had the ability to sort of pay, let's say for the week you're in Barcelona, to pay for a much better, much fatter uplink pipe than you yeah. already get? That would definitely yeah, be a useful yeah. thing.
But because the fans are like one gig and it's like yeah. I find uplinks a problem generally, even on fixed networks. Like my my yeah. my wife was trying to send a video to somebody, like just sort of WhatsApp it, you know, and it's like two minutes maybe, mm. um, and it just it wouldn't go, and it ended up getting run through We Transfer, I think it's called mm -hmm. that compression yeah. app on okay. it. And I was sort of thinking at the time, you know, is I mean that's a fixed line thing in the house because mm. we're on a BT connection and it's Wi-Fi, but. These we were going to talk about these later releases, I think, as well. Is there something in? We can get onto that now. Yeah, these later. We're, we're an hour in. These stand. I'm saying an hour and a half, so we're we're two thirds <laughs> of the way through. <laughs> but these these sort of eighteen, nineteen, the way, this, twenty, this is, or whatever this is, it's um, be. This is professional love. Ian didn't buy any beers, and I'm giving oh, one of mine over. I just want to know what a, what a great person <laughs> I am. <laughs> Sorry, no. I was just saying, is there anything in those um, those those sort of later later stage mm -hmm. five five point five or whatever they're going to call it, yeah. advanced five G, that might help with with some of that? You don't need to wait for five point five to start shifting the TDD pattern. So right. it's like how much you know, how much you go up and how much you go down. And that's the TDD pattern for for the for midband. You actually can start shifting it today with the current release. So you don't have to wait for release eighteen and five point five G to start doing this. So that's that's right. something like well, you were in our booth. So we're showing we're showing on like on TDD millimeter wave two gigabit up by just shifting the pattern, just actually shifting the pattern. So it's not. I don't think it's a 3GPP release uh, challenge by itself. But it's something the operator has to do, is is it? To, or could, but you need to then so design and deploy your network where you change the pattern. So that's yeah. like right now we think it's going to happen first on millimeter wave because of the, the uplink capabilities, yeah. But it sounds like a good feature if a consumer could do it, if they had this sort of flexibility to sort of press a little app button and all of a sudden I can free up some capacity and yeah. send something. I mean, I, I mean, that to me is an example of where you get sort of mm. network monetization potentially. I'd, I'd be... But go back you know, to your example of uh, reality it's super hungry when it comes to the uplink i mean that becomes like the build that becomes quickly the bottleneck because you've got to keep telling the network what you're up to yeah in a very yeah, yeah exactly so a lot of things will happen. Yeah. and you process and you use the network to do a lot of uh, processing because you don't want to have big yes, bulky device right. so you actually rely on the, the traditional at the edge actually do it, and then you yeah. bring it back and so that requires a lot of uplink honestly a lot of the, the network have not been designed for the uplink in, in terms of capacity for coverage Yep. But like the, the like the capacity has been managed from a downlink standpoint. I, 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 I guess with millimeter wave, that's why it'd be useful in. I mean, one thing people tend to do in stadiums at sports yeah. events is they take little video snippets, don't they, or they take photos and they want to send it to their friends, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. you've got a huge amount of of uplink traffic. It's trying to. I tell you, it's amazing. It. I you remember I um, spoke in in the like the probably the preview pod where the night before I'd been to see um, Gojira. Mm. Um, it's a French metal band. Yeah. Who? They're called Gojira, which apparently is Japanese for Godzilla, yeah? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you, what, what sort of music do you like, Christian? Um, I actually like English pop, so that's kind of English like, pop. Uh, right, well, this is French metal. <laughs> exactly. so you're going the other way. You're sort of going past each other on, on the channel <laughs> tunnel. Exactly. So um, you have been along the way, yeah? But, um, yeah, it's pretty far from the Spice Girls. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I'm not saying that's your favourite thing, but you said English pop. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, um, the reason I bring it up is I went to that gig and I was just struck, and I've seen it before going to other gigs, the amount of people that seem determined yeah. to film the whole fucking thing. I mean, yeah. I don't know why they do it. I'll, you'll take the odd clip and you've got to have one just to show everyone that you're having a better laugh than them. That's basically what social media is all about, isn't it? Well, I've been at tennis matches where people like don't yeah. watch the match. They watch it through their phone. Yeah. 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 Match, and I'm like, 
But you didn't really watch anything. You could have been on. <laughs> Which comes with the use case of all these augmented reality that uh, I think Verizon was showcasing some of these cases for the for the Super Bowl, where you started yeah. like imposing like yeah. statistics. Yeah. And you go on to do some replay. You want to have a different way of looking at them. So it's... Oh, they had that in Qatar as well. Yeah. During the oh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the World Cup. We don't yeah. talk about this World Cup. No. Hey, you're lost, you're lost the point, yeah. That's <laughs> so, uh, so, so let's talk about Argentina. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so do we imagine? So here's here's a quite you know back to the use case thing and the killer app thing. I know I I use killer app in the in the knowledge that it's disingenuous and and reductive and too simplistic. But what we're really looking for is not necessarily a killer app in inverted commas, but an obvious use case. So we've got fixed wireless access. We've got a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about so far, which is largely a sort of B2B play. Mm -hmm. um, and then another one that gets chucked around quite a lot is this sort of VR, AR thing. Do we imagine, and and obviously we, we all appreciate that VR, which is fully immersive, yep. you have to do in, in a very constrained environment. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the further ahead sort of utopian use cases, glasses like ones I'm wearing, but with some kind of connected heads-up display or something uh -huh. like that, and everyone's just walking around, seeing things through the eyes of the goddamn. You're looking forward to that, are you? Well, I'm not sure because um, <laughs> I think it's very distracting. <laughs> but but I can see it. I mean, is that 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 is the that that's the definition of augmented. Mm. You look around. I look at you, and I'm getting this Terminator overlay that says, "Yeah, he he doesn't buy his own beers or something like that." Um, <laughs> And you, you're getting all this data and all this information, and then what so you do with it? Mind as well as <laughs> no, it's just it's just picking up on, on on my commentary from the start of this pod. <laughs> a bit like Chat GPT. That was a funny thing. I don't know if if we've spoken about this, but increasingly I realise that Chat GPT is just all it's really doing is very quickly scanning as much of the internet as mm. it can. Yeah, it's not it's not general AI. It's not thinking. It's not sentient. It's just a really good web crawler with a natural language um, thing built in. Mm. Um, and I was I was reading something today. Sorry, it's a complete tangent. Um, where where someone was going, yeah, that will never be you know proper AI. And I was like, well, no, not now. But considering how clever that is, how quickly it could do, I could just go into Chat GPT and say, you know, write something um, in the style of Christian Leon, and mm -hmm. it would it would go and go into your LinkedIn or yeah. whatever and have a go at it. How much does, you know, not generative AI and that sort of thing, but AI in terms of, of what, what's going on at Ericsson and, 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 and later releases of yeah. that, how much does that sort of go into network rollout? I think where we see a lot of uh, advantage of AI today is the, uh, let's say, like optimizing the network. I mean, there is so much complexity in terms of the amount of spectrum that needs to be managed, the equipment, the generations. And so you're throwing like new use case into it. So how do you dyna dynamically manage the system? And the clear case we have right now is energy management. So you kind of like, you can shut down some layers, you can put some radios into sleep or deep sleep. So how do you manage this? You could do it in a very static fashion, like, you know, at like 11 at night, every night, you go and shut down some of the layers and you kind of reduce your overall energy consumption or you do it dynamically. You know, there is going to be like a football game and then you actually don't do it. Or you know, like typically because it's, um, it's Monday evening, there is likely going to be some traffic jam in that part of the city, so like you don't do it. So then it becomes dynamic, and there you need some AI capability. It's not something that you can, I would say, throw 
people at it. It's not going to manage. Many, too, many too many parameters to manage yeah. constantly. Yeah. And I think that's where we leverage these uh, these capabilities but, today. There's so much more then. I think that's then the question is where do you process? Some of this needs to be processed like very close to I would say the uh, let's say the edge or yeah. run it and run on the sides. Yeah. And that's compute intensive. So how much can you do? Which is things that are more like I would say out of like bigger loops. You take it like every five seconds, every ten seconds, and that's that's a big conversation also. Yeah, there's almost a use case for cloud cloud ran. You know, because you would be putting resources closer to the base stations themselves, compute resources. Mm -hmm. But is is what you just said, being able to do that and shut things down dynamically, yeah. a kind of justification for moving towards a, a more sort of cloud ran. Deployment, which I know is Larry in Ericsson's portfolio, but but I'm it's more the advantage of having a centralized, like it's the idea of saying if I have more information at a central point, I can go and like start like mastering how do I like how do I handle multiple information. That's but it's and then you then we can do it in a cloud run fashion. We can do this on actually dedicated hardware, like uh, right. But it's, so it's uh, then the technologies is your choice. Do you want to virtualize or not? That's yeah. uh, that's two. Uh, for me, it's two different themes. The idea of saying okay. now, if I centralize more information, I'm smarter. I can actually start like throwing some new algorithm to manage this. Yeah. Okay, that's centralization. And and the shutdown. I mean, will we get to the point where the networks just sort of figure it out you know like they see people moving into an area perhaps and there's like a, a you know an anticipation that comes on the network yeah. side oh something's happening yeah. when it needs to provision more resources and people are not yeah. really in the loop at all is that Starting so there was uh, that was one of the demo we had in the uh, Mobile World Congress, which actually blew my mind because it was showing the amount of uh, compute that was happening to actually get get to the decision. That's the idea. It's like it was called um, intelligent cell uh, shaping. It's like so you have you know the tra traditional cell to bring coverage into the network. And then, then if one of the cell gets congested, I know at the end of the movie theater, everybody goes out in the street. The, the rest of the network actually detected. And because now you have massive MIMO radios, so you're actually able to change the pattern of the cells. You go mm. and say, oh, there is new users here. You go get it. So you actually start dynamically to change the, the pattern of, of your cells and you reduce one where it's, let's say, congested. There's a lot of like people getting out of the movie theater. And then the other radios go and fetch some of that traffic. That is very compute intense because you really need to dynamically understand what's happening to the traffic. So that's this sort of capabilities comes with like, yeah, advanced algorithm. It's like that's not a technology we could have done like five years ago. That's right. one thing I'm getting from this conversation on the whole about getting back to my like, you know, what's the point of 5G thing? Yeah, we're back. Um, yeah, I always, I, you can always it's count on me. Through now, so you can always count on me to sort of drag it back to words <laughs> yeah, of one syllable. <laughs> like Ian, God, when we were in, when we were in um, Barcelona, uh, there was there was a lot of um, stuff coming out about cloud run, VRAN, that sort of thing. And yeah. Ian was patiently explaining it to me. It just wouldn't stay in my head. And sometimes I just have to bring it down a few levels yeah. intellectually so that I can get my head around it. But like with 5G, one of the, but I'm also trying to sort of collate and, and, and recap on some of this conversation we've had because we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, this sort of network dynamism, this network flexibility, this ability to do lots of different things yeah. that we couldn't do before strikes me as an absolutely sort of cardinal part of it. And that's where the AI plays into it because to be able to do that is actually really fucking complicated. And yeah, I, but also I guess with, um, if things go the way that we've been told with with IoT and things like that, we get a lot more connected devices coming yeah. on as well. Then there's even more to, to sort of look after. Then you have more things to manage and yeah. then it becomes like, and these things behave very differently. 
uh, things that are very intense uplink, very intense downlink, yeah. or like bare minimum connectivity. So you have to manage then it's a very different type of behavior from this device, yeah? Is, is more of this stuff sort of built it because this is going back to what else is in 19, releases 1920, whatever, just before we get to 6G, but is some of that Yeah, some of this built in, into exactly. those? Then you start like, there is like, for instance, uh, I think it's really 17, then this non-terrestrial network where you also like cater satellite. From, from satellite yeah. extra coverage. So exactly, so how do you cater and that's a coverage conversation at, at that stage, but like, there are, ex like that's, advanced 5G or 5.5G is the idea is like, how do you throw more use case and complexity into the system? And what's, what are the capabilities of the network to cater for it? Yeah? What's that going to mean for all these satellites that are sort of being put up at the moment that don't have that kind of, because they're not, they're not sort of standardized at all at the moment, are no. they? It's like if, if Apple, who's got this deal with Global Star, wanted to move to another, you know, an, another provider, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do because it's a completely different technology. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like when NTN, I think it's just referred to as NTN, isn't yeah, it? In the standards, yeah. when that actually becomes a thing and people start to develop technology, satellite technology yeah. that, that's compatible with that, it could be quite disruptive for the existing kind of satellite ecosystem at the moment. But I think, I think the, I know people aren't going to sit around and wait to do things. No, I'm, but I think what's important is the it's when it comes to satellite is the laws of physics have no change. You still need to kind of like propagate a signal from a satellite down. So I think the what's interesting is when you're low of orbit, it's not that far when you think about it. So yeah. you still have a chance to get the signal with a decent latency. Part of the point, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. part of the point. But having a mobile use case where you actually are moving, first, the satellite is moving really quickly. I think line of sight of a low orbit satellite, I think is like two, two minutes. Right. It's moving really quickly. And then if you're also moving, then yeah, it becomes a very complex uh, yeah. system to, to fix. And then yeah. there is also, it's still the same idea, it's like you have spectrum, so you need spectrum. So which spectrum do you use? And a lot of the spectrum is already used for mobile broadband, like within the existing operators, and you can't interfere with the system. Yeah. So I think for rural cases where there is, let's say, no use, use of the spectrum or in the middle of the ocean, why not? So I think it complements very well. I think the idea of like, this is a way we're going to bring like coverage in a city, I don't see the rules like the, the no. laws of physics have no chance here yeah yeah no well like, this is one of the we talked about this before didn't we but satellite still seems to be very niche and yet there's a huge amount of interest in mm. doing it all of a sudden we've probably written about four or five satellite pieces this week ah there's just well, always stuff going well, on. I, I haven't but i know mike probably has but there yeah. just seems to be so much activity in satellite and yet you, you still look at it and you think well it's almost like the late 90s when people when teledesic and the original version of Iridium and all this was mm -hmm. going on. And, and yet the, in those days, that was kind of pre-terrestrial mobile broadband. Yeah. And now we're, the same thing's happening. And yet we've got, you know. But I, I mean, still, the, the cost to put like a kilogram of uh, in like in space, like massively yeah. went down. So there are right. like, I think the overall ecosystem is so much more mature and interesting now. Yeah. But uh, what does that mean for the telecom industry? I think it's, uh, we're not there yet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can't imagine sort of Jeff Bezos's satellites providing a kind of global service to to people in cities and replacing operators doing terrestrial stuff. But I don't know. Maybe it will. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah. So, so I think I think I'm getting a lot of what I wanted from this conversation in terms of what's what's the point of five G. Uh, I mean, we need to talk about what the point of six G is now. Yeah, we, we we could get onto that. Yeah, certainly. Um, the yeah, before we move on to that, Ian, you were 
at the start when when we we're saying what were some of the themes coming from World War Congress, and, and we've generally sort of focused on five G, but you you had an idea of some other of, stuff in terms of hype. I mean, yeah, I think there's always hype there, but I don't think the hype was around five G this year. What, I think. What was it? Um, I mean, the, last year the hype was metaverse. I think for me, there was a lot of talk about the metaverse. You even had like people like Telefonica putting on um, displays and SK SK Telecom is like a good sort of measure of what the yeah. industry is kind of what its little kind of what the zeitgeisty thing is because they have this huge display given over to something. I mean, I I thought this year there was a maybe there's not as much, but there was a bit of on AI. I talked to quite a few operators about. Stay generative AI, yeah, mm -hmm. and how that how they could take advantage of it. And what, what does generative mean as a qualifier for AI? Well, that's ChatGPT. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, basically, and the underlying model, which is what GPT three or something. But, Look, man, as long as it starts stalking you and saying that you don't love your wife, they've got some work to do on it. But it doesn't look good on a stand. You can't put um, a you can't do a gener generative AI kind of display. So SKT, I think, has sort of got around that by putting on one of those huge gyrocopter thing yeah, yeah. that flies itself and and, and everyone they, just took photos of that instead yeah it's like a representation of kind of ai right. but um but there were, there were quite a few operators i talked to who were on about um, and also on the public cloud side talking mm -hmm. about things like um oh, what's it called github copilot you know which is like a that's that's based on gpt3 as well but that's like a software writing um, github sounds like a get together GitHub for not very pleasant people yeah well, github copilot's like a software writing ai so it does what ChatGPT does, but it, mm. you say, I want you to do this program in this language with these restrictions using these libraries, and then it, it kind of does that, and the, the program is not as involved in the process as he was. I think you still need to understand what you're talking about. You can't get Scott to do it, yeah. or me, but... Yeah, um, well, well, I'm the one who doesn't understand. So, <laughs> but, so I think there's a bit of hype around that. I thought, I'll tell you one thing, and actually this this does bring up a topic which won't necessarily be comfortable for you, Christian, but Open Run. I th I was actually struck by how, and again, again, you know, we, we have a tiny little snapshot. It's a huge show. You're just one person walking around speaking to the fraction of people there that you can. But I just didn't get the sense of there was much going on about it. What about you, And Did you, yeah. did you get much... I mean, I talked to a lot of people about VRAN, but it's not quite the same thing. Mm. Um, uh, on the open RAN, strictly open RAN side, um, I mean, there were a couple of announcements, but I think the industry's gone through a... It's not been a great time for it, no. perhaps. I mean, I know a lot of the analysts are still saying, look, it's going to be this percentage of the market by the late 2020s. Yeah, it'll but, be a thing. It's a bit like maybe what we I was talking about with 5G, where it's a thing, but it's a bit of a slow burn. I think it's 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 going through a, a, a more difficult phase. I mean, in the immediate run-up to MWC, Deutsche Telekom came out with that white paper saying it's going to be harder to do this at scale than we thought, essentially. That's not quite how they put it, but you read between the lines. And I think there was a white paper from Europe's telcos as well saying similar things you know people are pointing out the challenges more still it seems than so, yeah, uh, before, they're going to use it before i ask you christian I should, I should frame it why why for our audience if it wasn't obvious why i would have said it might not be a totally comfortable subject for ericsson it's only because um one of the stated reasons for open ran is to open up the ran which is a radio access network mm -hmm. and make it easier for people to um not buy the whole shebang from someone like Ericsson. So uh, on, a, on a pure sort of legacy business point of view, I, I imagine that Open Run's viewed as a threat, but I know that's not how sort of Ericsson and Nokia for that matter talk about it. But, um, 
yeah, let's just talk more generally rather than at Mo or Congress. What what are your what are you, sort of conversations you have on Open Round from your perspective? Where do you stand on it? So where we stand on it, I think is you you interviewed recently uh, Frederick Gidling also yeah, on that I topic. Did. But I think the yeah. I think what's important for us is to look at it from a performance standpoint. From a cost like from a cost standpoint or TCO standpoint to say how do we make sure that what we produce end to end is actually cost effective. Yeah. I think that's one important aspect. Um then the technology discussion is more around cloud run. Yeah. And the the layer of like orchestration and automation that you can bring on top. I think it's interesting if you design your entire software, your run software stack in a cloud native fashion, and then you actually have a cloud capabilities and you can move it around and scale it or scale it down differently. The aspect of automation orchestration, that's new. That's not something we've done as, as an industry so far. Which, well, virtualization is one aspect, but I think now we're bringing this to a new layer. The, the underlying technology, what that means, that I think is very interesting. Yeah. That 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 will like that will carry on the same way you discussed like cloud native on the 5G core. That's that's a technology piece that I think is very interesting. So that's the angle we take from an Ericsson standpoint. And that's that's a lot of the engagement we had when we we're in Mobile World Congress. Okay. I'm still, as I just alluded to earlier when I was when I was um talking to Ian about it, I'm still trying to work out what I mean, I understand in principle the differences. I know that virtualization cloudifying things is is about making it software that can then be ultimately um, housed on in the cloud on mm -hmm. a, a remote server yep. and, and, and that brings in the usual descriptors about agility and scalability and all that sort of thing but quite often when I when I talk to Ian about this he sort of corrects me and says that you know sort of cloud run or something like that and open run are different things uh, and I think they fundamentally are because open run is just about um well, I think Open RAN started out, and it's a bit more than that now. But the main yeah. thing about Open RAN was opening up that interface yeah. between the radio unit mm. and and the baseband, essentially. So to mean that you could buy one from one person, and the other yes. from another person. Yeah, yeah. but but you can have a, a network where you get both from the same vendor, and it's a virtual RAN, right? Because the the virtual RAN bit's about where the baseband runs, essentially. Yeah, you put that on a general purpose processor and you get the flexibility mm -hmm. of being able to move res compute resources around more. That's the distinction, really. Okay. Um, and you wrote some great so, stuff about the, the sort of pros and cons of that, because... Yeah, well, I'm still not sure what the pros are, really, of doing virtual RAM, but I guess that's kind of an issue for a lot of operators. What are the pros, anyway. Christian? No, but um, I think that's where you're describing. So there are three pieces. You're kind of, you can virtualize, then you have the, the layer of automation. Once you have some software that is actually virtualized and then you can like, so it's virtualization, like let's say automation orchestration on top. And then there is the low layer split saying, now nah, I need to mix and match. Like, yeah. I think we see value in virtualization. Yeah. That that brings, that's that's where I would say where a lot of the technology investment is getting into. So there are some interesting way to then manage this piece of software. That's what's happening on the core, for instance. And then you can automate and orchestrate. The idea of like doing a mix and, mix and match of the low layer split between the radio and the baseband, like it's not going to bring the right level of performance at this stage. Yeah. That's where That's where we don't see it. And that's where you get a lot of the concern about having to because you have to systems integrate then yourself, yeah. you know, so you're doing all the work that an Ericsson would do before you, before the product turns up, you know, you're doing that or you're getting somebody else to do it. 
It's totally. not easy to do. And, and if you're and if you're heavily reliant on one SI, then how is that different from getting Ericsson to do everything? Yeah, there's, it opens up all sorts of questions, yeah. I guess, about the about the about that about the number of vendors you want to work with. And but um, my feeling is, so I'm I'm generally sort of pro competition and anything, you know. One of the ways in which Open RAN has been framed in a more sort of strategic geopolitical way mm-hmm. is obviously the Americans have insisted that no one who wants to be friends with them is allowed to use Chinese vendors, which just leaves you lot and Nokia as in, in, in terms of the traditional big kit vendors. I know there are others like I, I met, um, I think it's Airspan is their name over in Mobile because there are other. So well, they're very small though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, relatively. Yeah. But there, I'm just saying there are others. Yeah. Um, and so the way it's been positioned is this is a way of bringing, restoring some plurality to the market. But you know, but I get it if um, if the argument is okay, and now you can now you can chop and change, and now you can have an Intel chip here and Samsung thing there and a Mavenir thing there or whatever. Um, but if it's not either cheaper or better, then what's the point? Well, yeah, but the argument that the open ranking means would come out with is if you inject competition into the market, then it you will eventually down prices be cheaper. That some of those issues that you've got at the moment, the teething trouble with it in terms of ma- matching up vendors, can be overcome. So systems integration is difficult, but this is why people like NTT Docomo and Vodafone are trying to and tip the telecom infra project. They're trying to do these. Um, trials and tests where they get a bunch of people working together mm. and then they've kind of proven that that combination and they get a lot of that works. Stuff. And you do it again and again, you end up with a kind of a recipe book of different vendor combinations that you can use. Well, the, the downside is that you, you're still using more people in the mix at the end of the day. If you want to, you know, if you want to do what Dish has done, I suppose, which is to have a really kind of, because you could have a, you could have an open RAN network that's from one vendor. It just ticks the boxes in terms of using yeah. the interfaces. And I actually think a lot more of, of it will be done that way, maybe. But if you mm. do the opposite, which is what Dish has done, where they've got multiple players, it seems, at every single little level, I mean, you can see the issues they're having. Yeah? It's like really hard because mm. you... Well, I think one of the... Sorry, you go... No, I think no, what I wanted to comment is that the, the, the risk that we see is that we're going to fragment the standards. Yeah. If we have like, uh, I mean, the... The reason why 5G scale faster even than 4G and then 4G scale faster than 3G is because of the global scale. Because it's one global, I would say, industry at full scales and then you build the ecosystem like faster in the cost-effective fashion. So the risk is that if we start fragmenting the standards, um, I don't think we'll get the same benefit. I completely agree. And I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect you to have a strident opinion on it, but I think the Americans are kind of overreached. I wish they'd wind their neck in a little bit when it comes to hassling China. I understand some of the understand some of the geopolitical strategic reasons. I understand that that, that China probably the Chinese Communist Party, given half a chance, would um like to keep an eye on what everyone else is doing. But I think I think everyone's spying on each other to some degree. But the, but aside from that, aside from some measuring competition of who's spying more than who, the I, there was an interesting thing, actually, another story that that did quite well for us this week um, was headlined: "China is miles ahead in telecoms research." This again was ripped off from my, you know, shout out again, Mike. Basically, he's just doing my job. He should get half my salary. Um, and um, and this was from uh, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Now, looking at looking at how they wrote it, they've probably got, you know. 
no no one no one publishes these big reports without there being some kind of vested interest and and I think their interest is to try and put the shits up the west to say you've got to spend more on R&D because it turns out that for example just they covered all sorts of technology but just in telecoms they 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 reckon China's just miles ahead what was it um the report reckons China accounts for 29.7% of advanced radio frequency communications research i think they called it high quality research qualified however they see fit and then the US is 9.5 so so china accounts for three times more than the second place country in terms of r&d for for basically 5g 6g that sort of thing and then um and then uk was third with 5.2% fair play to us i mean i, yeah, um, I, I don't I'm, I, i know but this is just one report i'm not i'm not i'm not repeating it as gospel but but there's a sort of context to it and then on the optical side it was 37.7% for china 12.8% for the us and 5.7% for the eu for the uk the the point is And then the only ones the reason that made me think of it is the only ones where the US was on top in this whole table that I've got was things like chips. Yeah. And and the chips is where the US has been most aggressive towards China in terms of not letting them get access to it. It just it felt to me and this is just this is just one study and this is just my gut feel. It just felt to me like like the US is sort of dicking about with China and finding the one thing it has got the advantage over them. Well, they're saying you can't have it, but then it'd be completely coherent for China to go, all right, right back at you. You can't have all our... Yeah, but that's top- why I'm dubious about that report because the US has been in a position where it's been able to hurt China by cutting them off from chip technology. Mm. You're saying that China, China is in a position to cut the US off from radio technology. I think I so, mean, yeah. Well, two of the biggest companies that are in the world that do radios, one of them's one sitting across from us now and the yeah. other one's in Finland. Yeah, and then the third one's obviously Chinese. But I, I think it's further to what Christian was saying about um, standard splitting. Yeah. Um, and I'm just putting it in a sort of geographical way. I can see how there's, you know, there's the American sphere of influence and the Chinese sphere of influence. And they, just as, as you said, that one of the reasons 4G and 5G especially went so well is that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, having had all these various CDMAs and stuff like mm-hmm. that flying around in the past. There seems to be a very real risk that we're going to diverge again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to have a look at that because I'm just very sort of dubious about. Well, it's it. one, it's one thing. You know, I mean, they have they have one big vend. There's three big kit vendors who do radio stuff in the world, and they have one of them, and it's much younger than the other two for a start. You know, um, it wasn't really anywhere in the 4G days, in the early 4G days, or the 3G days. It just seems odd to me that they have this sort of. 33% position on radio systems. Well this this the this report and I won't dwell into uh, it dig into it that much more partly because I'm we're running out of time. The UK would be third either as well, I don't know. Well either. this is um this isn't on the vendor side. This is um academia. Right. Okay. Um so basically they've just got tons of universities and yeah. tons of um an, another interesting chart. Yeah, okay. All right. Another interesting chart actually within that story is China kicks ass on the undergrad side. So they've got tons of students all going off and studying um well, there's a lot of people radio there. stuff yeah but but our students might be off studying some more bullshit mickey mouse degrees they're all doing hardcore science degrees yeah, but then i agree with that that's probably something i can see yeah. but then there's a massive shift you know i i won't show you it now because it won't make for good radio but there's a massive <laughs> shift from undergraduate to postgraduate a lot of these chinese undergrads fuck off to the states and the uk and europe and, and other parts of the world and it all evens out after the undergraduate side of it so that's an interesting side right 
Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to have a look at it. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll show you. It is, it's interesting and it got some traction. Um, yeah. Okay, we're nearly running out of time. And just to sort of sum up, I'll sort of pass the ball to you, uh, Christian. Ray, we talk about 6G. We haven't really spoken about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we could go on a little bit longer. It's just it's just my obsession with being trying to be a bit more time-disciplined <laughs> than I have been. Um, you know, the, the conversation we've had, um, is, is there anything you want to sort of sum up in terms of what our audience might take away from it in terms of the, the state of the industry right now, especially 5G yeah. and all that sort of thing? Over to you. No, that's... Um and that's a, uh, let's say the illumination of me being in the uh, in Mobile World Congress this year is like uh, it's the first time I sat and I was looking at the entire technology piece, and it was kind of from a radio standpoint, core standpoint, orchestration, slice. Then you start seeing like this use case, the cloud gaming, and the need of this use case towards like let's say specific assets, and then the entire piece in the background that says like how do we fulfill. And they have the phone edge acquisition for an Ericsson standpoint. And so how do you actually make this like the entire ecosystem together? That's the first time I see it. And I was actually very pleased to under like from my standpoint to understand how it all gelled together and then understand like there is something else that we're building here. That that did that did not used to be the case because I guess last year I was staring at my beautiful radio. The gray radios are very light. Yeah? <laughs> no, but that that they came, very that came across for me. Like I personally, that came across. I, I managed to actually stick it all together. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, I, I think I got that. But it, it still, it feels like a slow burner to me. It feels like we're going to need to be patient. Ericsson can need to be patient. Journalists, operators, the whole ecosystem. That this, it's you know I'm. When I when I wrote my thing up afterwards, I said, you know, if we're still asking these questions in a year's time, then maybe we're in trouble. But I'll slightly retreat from that position because I think to be patient, I can't just put a deadline of a year on it. And I can't have us expect that Mobile World Congress 2024, we're going to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. But, I mean, there is some kind of time pressure, isn't there? I mean, we better, if we're still not sure in like three or four years, that's a problem, isn't it? But let's make sure we build it before we question if it actually can bring anything. Yeah. Yes, and and what and build it means 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 base stations means core means everything. Yeah. Cool. All right, um, Ian, have you got any last into six G? Do, do we want to have a quick six G? <laughs> no, no, we'll have so, to another time. That's that's going to last. That's not going to be a. Well, that's not a whole podcast. I, I, okay. That's a teaser for the next <laughs> teaser. Okay, well, that's probably a good way to leave it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're obviously welcome back anytime. It's great to have you on. Um, I mean, yeah, six G. I mean, I I think I wrote or certainly on the podcast said before. Maybe it was the one we had the preview with Dean, where I said if you're talking about six G, isn't that isn't that a bad thing about five G? Like you're already going past it. And I think Dean corrected me. He didn't agree. Um, but it does feel like you know people talk about football teams sort of looking past the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we're talking about 6G here, still so early in the 5G cycle, that does feel like, I don't know. I don't think we're a half-time yet on 5G. So exactly. Kind of like, yeah. <laughs> so do you think we shouldn't be talking about it at all? Do you think it's, I think uh, what's it's too in, early? No, but I think what's interesting is like, what are the new disruptive technology that are coming in? The fact that you tag it to a specific G, I don't think that's the yeah. point. I think what's interesting is what, what are like, I think it, uh, in Mobile World Congress, there were some like... Uh, energy harvesting capabilities on device. So you don't have any batteries on the device. Yeah, they actually harvest that. energy from vibration standpoint or from RF standpoint. And then actually start, start like... That was in the... That Eric- is interesting. That's, Do you remember Ericsson had the 6G igloo? 
Yeah, so I think it's perfectly happy to talk about it because you had a whole I, igloo devoted I did go into the igloo, but I didn't really kind of get a sense of... And so it there was, in there. There yeah, was like, that one thing, that, that energy one, I, mean, I can't remember exactly what it was. The whole thing feels like a blur to me now. But um, just this sort of ambient energy harvesting, just mm. getting it, you know, you know, like we've had watches for years that, that, that just keep going by the... Yeah, kinetic. By you moving your wrist for whatever reason. Um, but um, yeah, you can get that. <laughs> yeah, it's giving me. Yeah, it's giving me a disapproving. Such a child look. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say anything. No, I just I... inferred something. Um, but yeah, but you you can actually get some energy just from the radio flying around. Not very much, but you can get some. So that was one of the things. And in then the, you can transmit it back, and then you actually you can do something with that energy. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I mean, I think that's it. You know, when when 6G comes up or or later iterations of 5G, it's not the technology. It's like what what we what problems we're we trying to solve, yeah, and 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 what's the demand, mm. um, and yeah, it's not always obvious to me. Like the there would be demand for I don't know whatever use cases we've spoken about. I suppose um, fixed wireless access is is a more obvious one, but like the. Yeah the VR, AR, all that sort of thing. It, it sometimes feels, I think this is something I've used before, maybe in the last pod that we did from Ericsson Stan, sometimes feels like solutions in search of a problem. But maybe you look at it in a different way because you're talking to people all the time who tell you about problems they do need solving and so you get a good sense of what uh -huh. the telecoms industry needs to do. But all I remember is on 4G we were asking us the same question and then suddenly he came in and then yeah. we realized I'm doing all of this because I actually have mobile broadband in like like yeah. in the ubiquitous fashion. The, the first time I used Google Street with like the picture of the house I was heading into, I didn't realize that I was actually enabling this. It, yeah. it was kind of, that came as like, yeah. This is a point that came up because Scott and I went to a, um, a, a sort of press briefing with Andrea Donner at Vodafone UK. Mm -hmm. And he was saying one of the reasons they do need to build standalone and, and invest is because something will come along. Some developer will come up with something and then everybody goes, oh, yeah. yeah. But of course, you, yeah. You, you so you that's the build it and it will come thing. You know, if you, if you could anticipate things, we'd all be billionaires because we'd come up with Uber or whatever. So, you know, Uber seems now... Yeah, why, why wasn't everybody doing that? But, you know, if we thought about it, we'd be... Uh, mm. Yeah, so it's about, it's about creating the, the environment and, and having, a bit of a, having a bit of a bet. Um, and, yeah, we've got to do that because, as you say, there's no sure things. Cool. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. That's not bad. It's an hour and a half, Pierre. On I'm getting better. Philosophical note, yeah. On that philosophical note, <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll say something French, like uh, que sera, sera. That's Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I won't. All right, I'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christian. Thank Great you for having you. me. Great pleasure. And thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you join us for the next one. Bye.